James Gilmore was a missionary to Mongolia. Uh, he began his missionary journey in 1870. This is out of his diary. Preached to 24,000 people. Treated 7,500 patients. Distributed 10,000 books and tracts. And out of all of this, there are only two men who have openly confessed Christ. He spent years in Mongolia at a time when there were virtually no Christians at all. It was Buddhist in the southern part. It was a lot of open ground and a lot of tribes. But this guy was, and I'm going to tell you a few other things about his life. Um, he was a man of very black and white faith. He read Matthew 28, and he believed the only way that he could go make disciples was to go into the mission field, and he wanted to go to a place where there was lots of people who really didn't know Christ. And so that's what he did. He went to Mongolia, and this is one of those moments where he is discouraged. We have a bunch of his private diaries and there were times walking through, we had all these time, moments where he just, he was alone for days at times. The main way that he got to talk to the Mongolian people was because he treated them medically. That was that 7,500 patients. But all these people, and at this point, he only has two converts. He would go four years before one person came to faith. And he felt discouraged. But he was such a man of faith. So he was born in Scotland in 1843. Rich. His family was rich. He got great education. But again, he felt this calling. Matthew 28, I've got to go. God is calling me here. He prayed. He went to Mongolia. On his way, he had to make a stopover. And there were people, Christians, who were massacred and it turned other missionaries away. And he went, I just got to keep going. Because God has called me to this. Just kept making his trip. Four years in, he began to feel not only lonely, but he felt like he needed a partner. Not only in life, he needed a wife, but someone who could come alongside him. Who could do this with him, this, this missionary journey. He knew somebody in Peking... And while in their home, he saw a picture of the owner's sister. And he began to pray. And he believed God was calling him to marry this woman. He had never met her before. She lived in England. But he believed God was calling him. And so he sat down and he wrote a letter to her, asking her to marry him. First letter he wrote to her. First letter she ever wrote to him was, yes, I will marry you. She also prayed and prayed and prayed and felt like God was telling her, you're going to marry this man, to move then to Peking and join him on the mission field. Now, I have a 10-year-old daughter who happens to still be in the service, and I'm seriously hoping her engagement does not happen in this way. <laughs> this is the letter that he wrote to his parents my dear parents, I have written and proposed to a girl in England. That's how you find out. You get a letter from your son. 
It is true that I have never seen her, and I know very little about her. But what I do know is good. If the young lady says yes, she or her friends will no doubt write you, as I have asked them to do. You may think I am ra- that I am rash in writing to a girl I have never seen. If you say so, I may just say that I have this something of the same feeling. But what am I to do? In addition, I am not only at peace over this, because I've exercised the best of my thoughts on the subject, and I've put the whole matter into the hands of God, asking him if it is best to bring her, bring her. If it is not, keep her away. He can manage the whole thing. That letter got delayed. So the first letter that his parents got was from the mom of the woman who said yes. This is what they got as their first letter. Your son, Mr. Gilmore of Peking, has asked my daughter to write you, telling you of her decision to join him as his wife. She has wished me to write to you for her and would be pleased to hear from you if you feel inclined to write. They don't even know what's going on. <laughs> but this, I mean, this was the kind of life this guy was leading. Just all of these steps of faith, all of these moments of just trusting God and like stepping out. And yet, he had multiple times of discouragement, like that little diary entry. Have you ever felt discouraged? Have you ever felt like, especially in a case like his, you are doing everything you can to serve the Lord? You are stepping out in faith where you're able to, and yet you still feel like, why is this not working? Why is this not happening the way that I think it should be happening? And and you don't feel like God is doing anything, and you just feel discouraged, and you need some answers. Have you ever felt that? The Philippians feel that. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles. Philippians chapter 1. The Philippians feel discouraged. And what you may remember from last week is this congregation, they are filled with faith. These guys are partnering with Paul in the gospel, and they are doing it at a sacrifice to themselves. They're giving money, they're sending people, they're praying for him, they care for him, they are fully invested, and they themselves, after hearing the gospel and embracing it, they also are now sharing the gospel with others. It's a big deal for them, except for one minor thing. The apostle Paul has been imprisoned by Rome. Now, to understand what that might have meant for them, the Apostle Paul, he is the main spokesman for the gospel, especially to the Gentiles. He is the guy who's bringing this thing forward to all these churches. He founded the Philippian church. And now he is in prison. Now he has been overcome by Rome. What is to happen to the gospel? What is to happen to them? They've been standing up for this thing. Just to give you a glimpse of what they might be feeling like, it's a small glimpse. Imagine the Mavericks were to make the NBA playoffs again. 
I know it'd be a miracle there, but just imagine they made it. And right before the first game, Dirk broke his leg. Is there any hope that the Mavericks win? Anybody watch the Mavericks? Anybody? Okay. Is there any hope that they win? No. No. He is, at least right now, that team. That's Paul, at least the way they see it. If Paul is no longer proclaiming the gospel, if Paul can be thrown into prison by Rome and overcome, is the God that we are serving actually bigger than Rome? And Paul addresses it. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's actually served. Not the opposite. I know what you're thinking. I know you're thinking that I've been thrown into prison and this thing's going to just come to a grinding halt. Instead, the very thing that looks like it's really, really bad is actually advancing the gospel, the opposite of what you think. Let me explain. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says two amazing things have actually happened. Instead of my imprisonment making the gospel stop going forward, and I know that's significant because your partner's with me in this, it has done the opposite. Two big things have happened. The entire imperial guard has now heard the gospel. That would never have happened if I wasn't in prison. Not only that, my imprisonment has actually caused other believers to be bolder. They have more boldness in their faith And they are now preaching the gospel in ways that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been imprisoned. You look at my imprisonment and you think, the main guy has been thrown in prison. He's driving this whole enterprise. What are we to do now? You look at this and say, he's been thrown into prison, which means Rome may be overcoming the kingdom of God. What does that mean for us? And Paul says, no, exactly the opposite. What looks really bad has turned out to advance the gospel. Here's my first point in our discouragements. God's working in our lives is not limited by our limited imaginations. God's work in our lives is not limited by our limited imaginations. But how many times have you felt in that place where you're over here with the Philippians going, he's in prison, it means this, and I just don't see any other way around it. And then somewhere down the line, God does something and he flips it, and you go, wow, I never saw that coming. How often is our discouragement because our limited imaginations, our limited ways of seeing how God might work, also limits what we think God can do. And we start to feel trapped. We start to feel like there's no answer to this. I've been in it so long and it's just not gonna change. And we leave out this whole thing over here. If you've ever done that, you're not alone. 
We see it all over Scripture. Do you remember the disciples after the resurrection as they're walking along the road and Jesus comes up to them and they're upset and he says, hey, what's going on? And they go, you don't, under, you don't know? The guy we thought was the one, he's been killed and we're just going back home because they see no other option. Jesus died, it's over with, the whole movement is done. Could you imagine if they would have saw 2,000 years later and they would have saw you in this room right now? They thought it was over right then. John the Baptist gets thrown into prison. While he's in prison, do you know what he does? He sends his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the one? Why is he doing that? Because suddenly John's not sure anymore. Because John's plan did not involve him being in prison. He thought, no, Jesus is just going to take over and kick Rome out, and it's not happening the way I thought. And Jesus sends a message back that says, tell John what you see, that people are being healed, that the blind are receiving sight, that new life is being given. It's a whole other way of looking at it that John didn't have in mind. John's imagination was so limited that he didn't even, he began to wonder, are you actually the one? And you can, just see, you can see it in Jeremiah the prophet. You can see it in Elijah when he runs from Jezebel. You can see it in Moses multiple times. You can see it in Abraham. All of these great people of faith, they all had these moments where their limited imaginations in a certain circumstance went, I, there's just no way out of this. And God is over here going, I have a whole other plan. Will you let me work my plan Will you open up your mind to the idea that my thoughts are actually bigger than your thoughts and that where you feel trapped, you are not trapped as long as I am your God? Most of the time, I drive. And it's not because my wife can't drive, it's because she just doesn't really like to drive that much. And so most of the time, I drive. And one day, and I don't even remember why, but one day we were getting in the van and Aaron was going to drive. And I went out and I got the kids in the van and I sat down in the passenger side. And my three-year-old, who at that point, I'm not even sure he turned three, he may still have been like late twos. He said, what are you doing, Daddy? You're in the wrong seat. So Mommy's going to drive. No. You're in the wrong seat. I know, buddy, I'm going to go over here. Mommy's going to drive today. Where's she going to sit? She's going to sit in the driver's side. No. No, you sit over there. Mommy sits over here. That's your seat. That's her seat. No, mommy's going to drive. And I finally had to give up because this was going nowhere. He just couldn't wrap his mind around we were going to change seats. And you know what's amazing about that? Aaron drives the van all the time and drives the kids. But in that circumstance, this little boy could only see one way that this could work. If mommy and daddy are both in the van, daddy sits here and mommy sits here. And that's how it goes. Do you know how much we look like that? In our situations, when we feel like, no, it has to happen this or this, and that's all the options there are. And God is saying, I am infinite. I am all-powerful. 
could you give me at least a chance to do something with your circumstance? It may not be the perfect thing, but at least give me a chance to actually work in this circumstance before you give up, before you get so discouraged that you just get depressed and you start getting upset. And we look like my two-year-old. Our imaginations do not limit what God can do in our lives. All they do is bring discouragement to us. Now, even if you accept that, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Paul is very much a realist. He's, this isn't like a denial theology. Like as long as you just go, okay, God's going to work this out. Cool, everything's wonderful now. It may still be really hard, but it doesn't have to be discouraging. It still may challenge you, but it doesn't have to overwhelm you. But it is going to be hard. God's working in our life doesn't mean it's a cakewalk. All right, look what Paul does next. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Hey, here's Paul going, the gospel is advancing. Hey, my imprisonment hasn't stopped it. Hey, that's good. Hey, don't get discouraged. However, it's still hard. I'm still in prison. Let me give you two things that I think Paul struggled with, even though he knew the gospel was advancing. Even though he wasn't giving up, he still had to struggle. Right? Number one, I guarantee you he was in prison for a while before the gospel spread throughout the entire guard. I guarantee you he was in prison for a while before people got bold and started preaching the faith. It wasn't like he went into prison and he went, oh man, this is terrible, but like four hours later, oh, but everything's good because it spread the entire guard knows and there's like 30 people out there preaching the gospel that weren't before. I guarantee you he was in that cell for a season. As the gospel began to spread and at some point he heard Oh, look at this. God's using it to reach the Roman guard. And then he heard from somebody who came to visit him, oh, look at what's happening in the church. There are people out there preaching the gospel who weren't doing it before. He had to suffer for a while before he knew what God was doing. And number two, he says it right here. There are people actually trying to hurt him. There are people using his imprisonment for their advantage to hurt Paul. Hey, this is not a cakewalk. Paul knows the gospel's being advanced, and he's excited about that. And he can look at that, and he can tell the Philippians, please don't get discouraged. Please don't lose heart or lose hope. The gospel's going out. But that doesn't make it easy. Whatever it is that you are discouraged by, whatever it is that you're going through that is hard I am not here to tell you if you just kind of open your mind and think about, well, God can be doing more. Suddenly everything's going to be okay. What I am here to say is that by trusting in the infinite 
almighty God who loves us and who is working in our lives, we can be in hard moments without being discouraged, without losing hope, even when they're hard. Um, my wife doesn't drive much, but she is one of my heroes, my absolute heroes. And here's why. My wife gave birth to three children without pain medication. Just let that sink in. I am, she's a stud. I, here's me on the other hand. I get a splinter in my hand, and I'm like, oh, man, there's like this two by four stuck in my hand. I'm like, babe, I need help. Babe, could you please get this out? I don't, it really hurts. And so she comes, and she's like, yeah, let me grab a needle. And she pulls out this like spear. I'm sure it's this long. And she walks up to me, and I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And she comes up, are you, are you okay? I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. Just get this out. It, it, I'm good. I'm tough. I can handle this. And she's like, are you sure? Do you need an epidural before I do this? I didn't to give birth, but do you need it? I mean, we could do it. I'm, like, I'm good. Just take it out. It's a, all right. She said, you're crying already. I haven't touched you. No, no, I'm tough. I'm good. Do this. And she's like, oh, it's done. What? Well, it wasn't actually in your hand. It was just sitting on your palm, dude. I really want to be tough, but I'm kind of a wuss, and I'm in denial about it. I keep acting really tough. That is not what Paul's doing. There's no denial theology here. Hey, Paul's not asking you to act tough like nothing's wrong. Paul's asking you in the midst of your wrong to recognize the power of God that he can work. Even when it's hard, he can work. Now, here's the thing about Paul. Even when it's hard, Paul finds joy. Even when it's hard, Paul finds joy. Right, look at his last verse. Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. At the end of this letter, Paul will say to the Philippians, rejoice in all things, because God is near. Paul can rejoice even when it's hard. It's not only that he's not discouraged. It's that he can rejoice even when it's hard. How is that possible? Well, I'll tell you that you all do it. You all do this. I'll give you one example. If you have ever done something really hard for the sake of your child and your child was happy because of it, I bet it was not as hard as if you were just doing it for somebody who didn't like you and this wasn't going to amount to anything. And I bet the same thing was harder than when you were doing it for your child. Because it's relative. How hard something is, is relative to where we find our joy 
It's relative to the reasons why we're doing what we're doing. I could not work as hard for myself as I can for my family. I could definitely not find as much joy in what I'm doing if it's just for me as if it was for my family. We all have things that bring us joy. And sometimes whatever it is that brings you joy, it can make the things that are hard not as hard because you're finding the joy of what it will produce. That's Paul. Like Paul is in a Roman prison. He may or may not get out. We don't actually know historically. He may die in Rome. He's in a Roman prison. He's got people outside that are against him, and he has no idea if he's even going to get out. And he's rejoicing. It's really hard, but he's rejoicing because the gospel is still going forward. Because people are still finding Christ. And that means so much to Paul that it is worth suffering. It is worth going through this hard thing. And Paul to be able to say, I'm rejoicing in this, even as it is hard. And it's real. Not just from Paul. I mean, you may be thinking to yourself, well, it's Paul. Right? Paul is, it's Paul. I mean, he has like a single name even. He doesn't even have a last name. It's just Paul. He's so amazing. That's what we call him. Paul. Think about what he went through. Of course Paul could do that. But what about the rest of us? We're all normal people, right? And what happens when we have something that's really hard? We're supposed to do that? I tell you a lot of stories about a lot of lives. Occasionally there's a story that I just, I don't know how to put it in my words. And so I, I'm going to read it from their words. Uh, by the way, if you cry a lot, grab some tissue. I, for me, I, I may need it partway through this. His life was brief, only 80 minutes short. There was nothing we could do to save him. No procedures could fix the missing parts of his skull or brain. We could only love him, celebrate his existence, and embrace the time we had with him. And we did everything we could to make the most of his life. But since we could not prevent his death, we wanted to embrace that as well. To do this, we chose to allow our son to give back by participating in organ, tissue, and whole body donation. After our sweet boy passed, he was able to donate his liver, pancreas, umbilical cord, core blood from his heart, a skin sample, and his whole body for various research studies. Although it is not very common to learn how donations to research are used, we were blessed to receive feedback about all his gifts. This brought us comfort, healing, and joy to our hearts. His liver helped researchers who were trying to find a cure for cirrhosis and various liver diseases. His pancreas went to a study of type 1 diabetes, specifically hoping to treat children who have this condition. His cord blood went to researchers who were investigating the causes of the very disease that took his life. His core blood and skin sample went to create cell lines to be preserved for future studies. All his gifts went directly to save or improve the quality of lives for others. And then this is something that meant so much to her. 
His whole body went to train emergency professionals and to approve equipment to use in pediatric emergency medicine. He was gone for eight months, but one of his biggest accomplishments, before they got him back, his ashes, one of his biggest accomplishments during his eight months away was to help researchers get a new insertion site for a life-saving procedure passed through the FDA. The researchers had tried to get approval before for seven years with no success, but after working with our son's body, they resubmitted and gained approval. In the letter from the FDA, the researcher was told that the reason they granted approval was due to the images of our little boy. Didn't use those words, but my heart always beats a little faster when I share that part of the story. This new procedure is already being utilized around the world and children's lives are already being saved. Now hear her heart. Yes, I miss my son. Yes, I wish we were able to spend more than 80 minutes with him. Yes, I wish that anencephaly was not part of our reality, but that was not how our story was written. Despite these things, I am proud of my son and the impact that he has had on this world. My mama's heart swells with pride when I think of the lives that will be saved because of his gifts. I am thrilled to think that my son helped researchers come one step closer to finding a cure for debilitating conditions. I am happy for the families that will not have to say goodbye to their little ones and experience that heartbreak because of a new procedure our son helped develop. I am so thankful that my son was a donor. My boy, Amala Nathaniel. Here's what the name means. The work of the Lord was mighty indeed, and I could not be more proud. I can think of nothing more devastating than losing a child. Here is a woman and her husband who lost a child. And in the midst of their pain, it was very real. The pain was absolutely real. They still found joy in the way that they believed that God could use the life of their son for other people. That is what faith can do. Right in the midst of our hardships. And Paul knew it. He felt it. He knew that the hard things were not the end. He knew they were still hard and we had to work through them and they would be honest and weigh us down but would not crush us because God was working. He knew that he could find joy because in that work is the love of God, is the gospel going forward, is lives being touched. And so he could rejoice while he sat in a prison cell. She could rejoice even losing her son. I wish I could come to the end of this and I could do what I do all the time in sermons. Last week, I told you of a man that went out and he didn't have a whole lot of success. But then in the area that he brought the gospel, 
There were over a half million believers there today. This guy, James, who went to Mongolia, this is the way his life would turn out. His wife would come to the mission field with him. They'd have three children. One of them would die. She would then die from a disease. He'd send his kids to go live with the grandparents so he could stay on the mission field, and he would then die from a disease at 49 years old. And they wouldn't see any more converts. Just two. How does that make you feel? It sounded like kind of a downer. You know, what a way to come to the end of a sermon and say, you know, here's this brave man of God that gave everything up, trusted God, went out on the mission field, and basically, it didn't seem like anything happened. That's how I felt when I finished his story. In fact, I almost didn't use this guy because I thought, that, that, that's not an encouraging, uplifting, like, yes, let's go storm the castle, everybody. That's like, huh, so I shouldn't go to Mongolia, I guess. I mean, it just, there's nothing there except I started realizing I stepped right over into that box and I went, this guy's life was basically not worth much. I mean, he kind of wasted it. He could have had all this time with his family or he could have been back in England or Scotland. He could have been doing, I mean, all this stuff and instead he just went out on this field and like lost his wife and then his own life and like, I, I can't see anything else but how bad that is. But then this whole message is about the fact that our limited imaginations don't limit God. And you know what? This is something that he wrote partway through his mission trip. The great thought of my mind in these days and the great object of my life is to be like Christ. As he was in the world, so are we to be. He was in the world to manifest God the Father. We are in the world to manifest Christ. I don't think he came to the end of his life and he thought it was a waste because it wasn't about all the results. It was about manifesting Christ to people who needed him. And where is he right now? And I don't mean that in a cliche way. I don't mean, oh, he's up in heaven. He's sitting on a cloud. He's playing a harp. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Paul is going to say in our next message, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's rejoicing right now because he's with his Savior. I missed that whole part of the equation because I'm down here going, oh man, I just can't see anything without such a wasted life. He did not waste his life. He lived for Christ in the way that Christ called him to live despite the results. And in his death, he is reunited with his wife, his son that he's lost. He is in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is something to be joyful in, even as you look at the situation and say, I wish it could have brought more. That's what we're called to as a church. Paul believed it. People have believed it throughout the history of Judaism all the way through Christianity. 
There is something more than what we see. It is a God who loves us and who has the power to do far more than we can ask or imagine. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in these hard times, in our times of discouragement, please help us to get outside of what we can imagine, to turn and to look and to recognize that you are bigger than those things. And not that things might not still be hard, but that we can find joy in the fact that you are working We can find joy in looking forward to how you will work. We can find joy in knowing that you're near. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen.